الحمد لله اولا واخرا اللهم انا نحمدك حتى ترضى ونحمدك عند الرضا ونحمدك بعد الرضا ونصلي ونسلم على سيد الاولين والاخرين وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته when the armies disbanded after the battle of the trench the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said now we will attack them they will not attack us this marked a turning point in the Islamic history of the new founded state. For the past five years, the Muslims were engaged in a defensive battle with Quraysh, a defensive battle for survival. Now the tables are turned. It is Quraysh that will be struggling to survive. It will be Quraysh who will now be on the defensive. Quraysh are the ones who attacked the Muslims in Badr. It was Quraysh who attacked in Uhud. It was Quraysh who attacked in Al-Khandaq. And that was their last attempt. That was not because they were having a change of heart or because they were now somehow becoming more sympathetic of the Muslims. It was simply because they were exhausted. They couldn't carry on this fight any further. The Muslims have outdone them in patience and perseverance and they couldn't keep up with them. So Rasulullah would say a year from now as we will see when we're talking about uh, Al-Hudaybiyah Ya wayha Quraishin qad anhakatum al-harb Woe to Quraysh, war has exhausted them. Allah Azawajal says in Surah Al-Imran in the last ayah Ya ayyuha al-ladheena amanu sbiru wa sabiru wa rabitu wattaqu allaha la'allakum tuflihun Isbiru means be patient. Sabiru Sabiru in sarf in Arabic in the science of what is called sarf it looks at the components of the word or the makeup of the word you see in the ayah it says Isbiru wa sabiru Isbiru wa sabiru They both come from the same root word Which is sabr But isbiru is a command to be patient So what is sabiru? Sabiru is in the uh, wazan What they call the wazan of mufa'ala It is patience between two parties So in Arabic for example You have musara'a Mudaraba Muqatala Here the fi'l The verb is not done by individual, but it's, it's between two parties. So as if Allah Azawajal is telling us that even though you might be patient, but what if your enemy is more patient than you? You have to outdo them in patience. So you have in the ayah two commands from Allah. One of them is to be patient, and the other one is to outdo your enemy in patience. Isbiru wa sabiru. And that is what the Muslims did, and it paid off now. After Badr and Uhud and Khandaq, now it is Quraysh who will be on the defensive because the Muslims wore them out. The Muslims tired them. And now Rasulullah is saying, Now we will conquer them, they will not conquer us. We will attack them, they will not attack us. Muslims, even though we say that the establishment of the Islamic State was with the Hijrah of Rasulullah but those were very, very difficult days. The initial years in Medina were years of fear, were years of hiding, 
were years of insecurity. We shouldn't think that this was a, a flourishing, strong Islamic state. It was in a very difficult predicament. Quraysh from one side, the Yahud from the other, the Bedouins from a third. Very difficult time on the Muslims. The Sahaba used to say, we would sleep with our arms next to us. We wouldn't feel security. So these first five years were very difficult, but the Muslims held on strong. They had sabr in Allah Azza wa Jal. But now, the Muslims will move on to occupy new positions. The next five years are going to be years of expansion. The move from the defensive jihad to the offensive one has taken place. In these next five years, dear brothers and sisters, uh, we will see an exponential growth of Islam and some important events occurring. The key events which we will talk about insha'Allah ta'ala, we ask Allah to give us the ability to go through the remainder of the five years of seerah and to make this beneficial. We ask Allah Azza wa to give us beneficial knowledge. Allahumma inna nas'aluka ilman nafi'an wa na'udhu bika min ilman la yanfa'. These key events are going to be the truce of Al-Hudaybiyah in the sixth year of Hijrah, the battle of Khaybar in the seventh year of Hijrah, the battle of Mu'tah, the opening of Mecca, the battle of Hunayn and Ta'if in the eighth year, and then the battle of Tabuk and the farewell Hajj in the ninth year, and finally the greatest event of all, the greatest calamity that has ever befell the Muslim Ummah. And that is the death of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Now he is with Abu Rafi in the same room. And Abu Rafi is asleep. The lights are turned off. Tayyib. How is he going to find out his location? He can see nothing. Now what did Abdullah ibn Atik do? He just called out. He said, Abu Rafi. Now it takes a lot of courage to do such a thing. It's a terrifying thing to call out for someone in such a situation. But also, on the other hand, it's more terrifying for Abu Rafa to hear this man calling him inside his room, inside his own bedroom. So Abdullah ibn Atik is calling Abu Rafa. Abu Rafa woke up and said, Who are you? Abdullah ibn Atik said, So I struck with my sword at the source of the voice. He can't see anything. He just called him, and the reason he did so, he wanted the man to speak so he can recognize the source of the voice and attack it. So he struck with his sword at the source of the voice. He said, فَلَمْ He said, my blow was futile. Yes, he did hit him, but it wasn't accurate enough strike. And obviously there's confusion in such a circumstance. So it didn't kill him. Abu Rafa yelled out for help. He screamed out. What did Abdullah ibn Atik do? Yani, mashallah, he, Abdullah ibn Atik radiallahu anhu, he had a very good response and intelligence on the spot, thinking on his feet. When Abu Rafa called out for help, Abdullah ibn Atik, he retreated, and then he came back changing his voice, and said, Abu Rafa, what do you need? Abu Rafa said, woe unto your mother, there's a man right here, and he struck me with his sword. So Abdullah ibn Atik, he struck him again. Again, at the source of the voice. Abu Rafa called out for help again. Abdullah ibn Atik retreated another time, came in, changing his voice, and said, Abu Rafa, what do you need? He said, woe unto your mother, there's a man in here trying to kill me. Abdullah ibn Atik said, this time, 
I came to him and he was lying on his back. Now he was already struck with the sword two times. Now he was laying on his back. Still alive, but laying on his back. Abdullah bin Atik said, This time I thrust my sword into his stomach until I found out the bone and then I cracked it. Next event that happened within this period is regarding Zainab bint Jahsh. Zainab bint Jahsh radiallahu anha Al-Asdiyah from Quraysh. She was the sister of Abdullah ibn Jahsh. And we talked about his story in the earlier lectures. And her mother is Umayma bint Abdul Muttalib, the sister of Hamza. So her mother is the aunt of Rasulullah, which makes her his cousin. Zainab bint Jahsh radiallahu anha. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa visited her. And he proposed to her marriage to his adopted son, Zayd bin Haritha. Zayd bin Haritha was a slave, and he's asking Zainab bin Jahsh, who comes from the nobility of Quraysh, to marry a slave. Rasulullah wanted to break the barriers of discrimination and racism that existed, and he wanted to start among his own family and asked that Zayd bin Haritha marry his own cousin Zainab bin Jahsh. She said no. He said yes, you will marry him. She said, oh messenger of Allah, let me think about it. And while they were talking, the ayah was revealed. وَمَا كَانَ وَلَا مُؤْمِنَةٍ إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَمْرًا أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُمُ الْخِيَرَةُ مِنْ أَمْرِهِمْ وَمَنْ يَعْصِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ فَقَدْ ضَلَّ ضَلَالًا مُبِينًا It is not fitting for a believer, man or woman, when a matter has been decided by Allah and His Messenger to have any option about their decision. If anyone disobeys Allah and His Messenger, he is indeed on a clearly wrong path. If our desires are contrary to something that Rasulullah wants us to do, we still do what Rasulullah wants us to do. And then Rasulullah married her, and that caused a storm of talk against Rasulullah. In Arabia, it was a no-no for a man to marry the wife of his adopted son. Adoption was serious then. This is before it was made haram in Islam. So Rasulullah adopted Zayd and he was called Zayd ibn Muhammad. So now all of the rules of Sharia that apply between a son and his father applied between Muhammad and his son Zayd. And one of the rules that existed in those days is that a man can never marry the wife of his adopted son. So Allah wanted to break this tradition among the Arabs and what better way to do so than Rasulullah breaking that rule himself. It carries more weight when Rasulullah does it than when he speaks about it. So now Rasulullah married Zainab ibn Jahsh. Uh, there were two rulings here. The first ruling is that there is no more adoption. And second ruling is that a man can marry the wife of his formerly adopted son. Allah says, ما جعل الله لرجل من قلبين في جوفه 
وما جعل أزواجكم اللائي تظاهرون منهن أمهاتكم وما جعل أدعياءكم أبناءكم ذلكم قولكم بأفواهكم والله يقول الحق وهو يهدي السبيل Allah has not made for any man two hearts in his body, nor has he made your wives whom you divorce by the har, your mothers, nor has he made your adopted sons your sons. Such is only your manner of speech by your mouth. But Allah tells you the truth and he shows the right way. ادعوهم لآبائهم هو أقسط عند الله فإن لم تعلموا آباءهم فإخوانكم في الدين ومواليكم وليس عليكم جناح فيما أخطأتم به ولكن ما تعمدت قلوبكم Call them by the names of their fathers. This is juster in the sight of Allah. But if you know not their fathers' names, call them your brothers in faith or your mawlas. But there is no blame on you if you make a mistake therein. What counts is the intention of your hearts. And Allah is oft forgiving, most merciful. Radiallahu anhu wa anha. وأرض الله عز وجل جميع الصحابة وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا